Hello comrades and welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of Spectre. I'm delighted today to be joined by Gavin. Gavin, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Cheers, my man. Perfect. So, Gavin, just to get us started then, just a, a wee introduction from yourself. You know, who are you and you, what's your affiliations and everything else in between? Hey, so, cheers for having us on anyway, mate. And uh, thanks to everybody that's going to be tuning in. I've got a shared about as well. So, firstly, uh, my name's Gavin Bruce. Some might know me as GFB for the music scene. Uh, I'm currently doing a PhD in NEDS and NED culture through the history of emotions and trauma at GCU. Uh, currently, I'm a member of Living Rent, Unite the Union, and uh, I try to just lend my hand to any of the struggles that, when the time arises. Um, but people tend to know me, then. I'm usually in about everything, so aye, that's me. Perfect. Great recap there. Uh, so just to get started then, right on to the first point, you know, uh, I, I suppose this, this topic's quite close to home for, for both of us, but sort of talking on capitalism and its effect on, on the youth both in Scotland and across Britain, as well as worldwide also. Can you give your thoughts on that? Uh, aye, so I know there's going to be a couple of people listening to this. Um, well, I know, I know the people listening to this who will probably know the differences between sort of socialism and capitalism, but I know there's a lot of people out there who, who probably don't know the difference, um, and that's usually beyond the usual media narratives that exist. So what I'll do is I'll break it down the differences before answering it, because I think it's obviously important people understand what capitalism is and what it does, so they know the, why the questions are relevant, um, especially for some of the people I know hopefully be tuning in for myself. So capitalism, obviously, the existing economic and social model we exist under in Britain, um, it's obviously about ownership and production, and this in itself creates two tiers in society. Those who obviously own things and those who look for those who do. So the model of capitalism itself, and that's just my interpretation, obviously people have different views, but it's based on this idea of social Darwinism and the theory of survival of the fittest. So this is a term first applied to society by Herbert Spencer in the 1860s, and it's something that obviously carried on today. And this idea, of course, it creates the idea of winners and losers, and that's an argument we see all too often. So, of course, survival of the fittest, what's supposed to be about evolution and species surviving different obstacles. But what it leads to in our society is the rich believing they've got this divine right to rule due to owning businesses and property over the working classes who obviously just try to make ends meet. So what we end up with is a society where the rich are almost, in every scenario, born into their riches, no matter what they tell you. So obviously you, you can think of the richest people on earth right now, Elon Musk, his parents owned an emerald mine in Zambia um, and used much of that money to buy Tesla. Then you've got Jeff Bezos. Parents pumped quarter of a million into his company. Amazon just starting out. So these same people, obviously, born into their wealth and who own their companies, like I say, the ownership classes, those are the ownership and the capitalism. They now pay their workers minimal wages to work for them. So these people have never struggled their whole lives and flick struggle on others and... Just lucky enough to be born into a family could fork out quarter of a million for business or have parents who own them road mines. So here we see, um, this is differences between capitalism. So we've got the rich, the ownership classes, and then the working class who struggle as a result of these people. So back to your points regarding capitalism and its effect on the youth. And I, I think it's impossible to separate them and its impact. And that's how I, I felt that was a wee bit important to break down there. So 
if we've got struggling parents, when we've got struggling children, um, we know in the poorest areas we see the highest drug addiction, the highest crime rates and violence, we see the highest teenage death, pregnancies and alcohol abuse. And right now in the UK, it's something like one in four children are living in extreme poverty as well. Uh, this is something I'm looking at through my research. So you take addiction, much of it can be seen initially as escapism for your lives and alcohol and drugs. Nobody who's completely happy in their life takes drugs or ends up with alcohol addictions. Well, rarely, at least. Um, usually there's a reason, like I say, it can be escapism or simply just a numb with trauma, which is a very consequence of something that's happened in this system, more often than not directly related or linked to poverty. And then you've got drug sales and crime. We know that with jobs scarce and very little options available, or those that are available, that, as I've stated there, they offer pretty grim wages. So young, poor, working class people have got a choice usually. Risk your life or your youth by selling your drugs. Try to make it out of the schemes or continue on to the same path as your parents. Find yourself living wage slip to wage slip. Because usually you find these people are coming from the most impoverished backgrounds. They've not got the same education when it comes to unions and things like that and how we can actually unite and overcome these struggles. Um, so this is just that. So the fact is, the effect of capitalism, does it just affect the youth? It affects adults, and this can become intergenerational and why it's obviously so difficult to break FIFA. So Glasgow, um, the prime example for this, I suppose, in a city known for its extreme poverty, well, the sick man of Europe, the addiction capital of Europe, well, once the murder capital of Europe in 2005, and we've got our own fucking Glasgow effect. So that, the thing that binds all this, as, as I'm saying there, I mean, it shouldn't really be surprising that we're also known as the poor man of Europe. So this is capitalism, and this is what it obviously does to our youth and the adults alike. Absolutely spot on, comrade. I mean, certainly looking at the, the sort of Scottish stance and, you know, how capitalism affected us and, you know, the younger generations, you put it quite clearly there when you talk about the, the highs for drug deaths, you know, murder capital of Europe, and, you know, with the infighting and social attacks even within the working class themselves and these communities and these young people that feel the, the full brunt of that uh, exploitation from capitalism these kind of badges are almost an honor you know it's in a sense a subconscious fucking you know boasting against it that you know we, we wear these contradictions uh, on our sleeve to, to almost showcase it but certainly when we, we see when in the youth as you mentioned as well we Obviously, drugs affecting youth and drink that form of escapism, you know, it's it's ingrained, certainly within society, you know, and it's a real negative that happens across the board. I mean, obviously, we was both growing up in Scotland, you know, we know firsthand, you know, where, where it starts, it always starts at school. You know, you, you face that brutalisation of capitalism straight away in, in your school life. You can't avoid it in any way, shape or form. And, you know, you'll, you'll be out with your pals drinking uh, all through the night. And this kind of escapism and the, the effect that capitalism has on us isn't just through the means of drugs and uh, and alcohol, but like you say, sort of like crime as well. And, you know, that can be through organised crime as a means to secure money, to, to just provide for yourself with a, a very scarce job market and, quite frankly, conditions of work that put people off. Or it can be petty crime, which is just young people lashing out, lashing out against the very system that they're entrapped in, smashing up windies, doing up cars, stuff like that, you know, and it gets to the point where that build-up of tension, that hate, that desperation, and what we've seen in Scotland is we're almost famous for are the young teams 
communities of young working class boys who recognise in a subconscious sense perhaps or, or not even at all you know that they need to stay together to protect their own communities and their, their own teams if you like but you know it's this sort of mode of infighting that occurs between us where it becomes dog eat dog and it replicates that very Darwinistic image that you painted right at the start then when we talk about capitalism you know the, these bourgeois philanthropists as some might call them <laughs> Uh, it's a total sham and you know they're not made they've not made themselves up of from the ground up like that like we're told you know they're man-made from their own wealth their own genetic health from their families and their predecessors so that wealth certainly comes from there and when we look at you know young working class people they they view this as all oh, i guess i've got a fight against everybody just to get by i've got a fight against my next door neighbor and that certainly is in in strange way how the youth are acting you know how how the youth are, are really fighting against each other. And we're sort of, sort of taught that in school as well, right from the get, get-go. But no, a very good point there in the youth. And yeah, just to, just to round it off before moving on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these are issues that aren't just affecting the youth. You know, the youth are only a very small part of this and a, a very small symptom of the disease of capitalism and, you know, the, the trauma that's been inflicted upon us. So, yeah, sort of moving on then to the to next point then when we... We sort of cover, you know, poverty and, you know, the, the working class struggle within the framework of capitalism is that sort of fetishization of it. You know, we see that a lot in the in the media, you know, through movies, film and everywhere else in between. Just want to get, get your thoughts on on sort of that. I, this is something that tends to gripe us, um, to be honest, but it's, it's not something that's new either. I mean, it, it goes back to that. I remember that, that song, the Pulp song, Common People. Um, these people are all happy to act like they're poor. I've never really known struggle ourselves. And nowadays, I mean, you see it everywhere. You see it on picket lines or online or wherever. As I say, it's just cool to be poor for a lot of people. Um, I don't really like talking too much about other people in other classes day. And I think much of it probably comes from some innate belief that they're, they're needed in the struggle. And like you have some duty to use their class to benefit others. And I'm, I'm all for allies and comrades choosing to fight for us. Because, I mean, after all, she and many others did the same. But it's this elitism, it's instilled in many of them, but I find problematic. And you see it in sort of, as I say, picket lines and things like that, and it's, they're dressed up and they're, it's as if they're dressed at the, the charity shops and that, and as if that's what that's what being poor is about, it's, that's what being working class is all about, just to try and look as basic as you can. And uh, it's, it's, it's a strange one, I, I've never really understood it. I mean, obviously I don't come from the sort of class of, of people that do it, so I can't really understand their mindset on it. But as I say, I'm thinking about a recent study that I read um, and asked, can middle-class people be neds? And I, I really shouldn't be trying to slaughter an academic here in a forum we can't really answer back, but I just thought it was absolutely ridiculous. I think his name's Robert Young. And he reached the conclusion that you could be an ed as long as you, as long as you identified as one, basically. And this creates all sorts of problems in my mind. So if you can identify as an ed, ultimately you're identifying as somebody that's working class. If identity is always all it is, then obviously it takes away these sort of the alienation that we face, the victimization and the oppression we face under this capitalist system and the, the sort of the, the, the means through which the, the system itself inflicts on us, talking about the police, the authorities, um, the judiciary, even the education system, which we find ourselves excluded from. So you're walking along the street being pulled by coppers, being excluded from certain circles because your accent or your haircut, um, unable to access much of the amenities 
in your locality due to being poor. I mean, see this all the time with gentrification and things like that. A lot of the, the sort of the bourgeois wings, they're all, as I say, dressing up as if they're this working class and they're trying to use sort of... I think that you see with Buckfast quite a lot nowadays as well. It's kind of... They've, they've tried to make it as if it's a fucking retro thing or something like that, whereas years ago when we were drinking it, we were fucking demonised for it. You walk along the street with a bottle of wine, you were an head. They couldn't want to even go into the shops to get you a bottle of wine. But now, as I say, it's became kind of retro and it's kind of cool to be Glasgow working class and even the notion of an head itself has become kind of fucking glamorised and glorified to some extent. Because as I say, it's become, it's cool to be retro, it's cool to look back at that era again, but as I said earlier, I mean, well, the murder capital of Europe in 2005, and that was kind of peak Ned era, but yet we've got this romanticisation here, um, and it just totally overlooks, as I say, the, the oppression that we faced by the system um, as a result of this capitalism. So I, I feel this is also why maybe a lot of the working class are bumping their heads nowadays, I was, because it seems most of those who do identify with working class a lot of them are only actually working class, whereas a lot of the people who are working class and they're making a, a few bob and decent jobs and things like that, they see themselves as a sort of billionaire of the world. And this, of course, to me, is a problem. So I, I try not to say too much, as I say. It's just points after the top of my head there. And uh, one of my, my points to take away from that, obviously, as I say, it's just you can't really be an ed. Um, unless you're working class, if you're middle class, I mean, it takes away this, as I say, the systemic oppression that we face and it takes away the sort of obstacles that you face in life as a working class person. This can obviously transcend just sort of head culture. This is about all working class people, as I say, when it comes to your accent, your haircut, your background, or your, as Bird Drew put it, your cultural capital. If you're not saying words certain ways and you're going up for job interviews and you're not presenting yourself the same way that maybe some middle class people put it, you're, you're right away behind them. And this goes back to, as I was saying earlier, about the whole survival of the fittest. When it comes to survival of the fittest, the working class in society who's want to have this sort of professional model built on a middle class or upper class world, because it's the same we've created it, then obviously we are not the fittest when it comes to that, because it's not our culture, but yet we're supposed to fucking fit into that culture, whereas they, these upper class, middle classes, feel as if they can just fucking hop in and out of the culture, or hop in and out of being working class when they please, whereas for us, it's not really the case, we're sort of stuck with it. So I, I hope that answers your question, or just, as I said, just a few points off the top of my head there. Yeah, absolutely spot on, I mean, Perfectly what you said there at the end, you know, the, the petty bourgeois, if you will, you know, they, they can hop in and out of it, you know, they've got the means to do so. And, you know, that's that's the very clear difference between your actual Ned and your <laughs> social pretender is that they can hop out. You could be you could be middle class hanging about with your so-called Ned mates and you can be acting, <laughs> acting as they do. But the fact is you can jump out of that. You can head back to, you know, your own, fa- your own fancy house, your... You're not having to worry about anything else, but your Ned pal is going home to his flat. The heating's not on because, well, they can't afford to. Their mum's possibly just been sat, you know, with a fire and rehire policy that's been put into place by work. You know, it's, it's these various things, you know, food banks and all that. You know, you never see these people worry about them. The only time it's on, on their mind for conversation is when, you know, it's being brought up in elections or general elections mandates, you name it in the, in the news or the politics, that's the only time these people will ever discuss these things. Meanwhile, you know, your working class communities are having to talk about food banks daily. They're having to talk about, well, there's more people going. Okay, that means there's going to be a shorter supply. Oh, there's a cost of living crisis. You know, people who donate, 
you know, can't donate as much now as they would because of this. And these are the very real issues that affect people that, you know, your social pretender, your petty bourgeois imposter, you know, can't comprehend. It's not in their mindset. And, you know, that's a very, very difference between that. So I think that's absolutely spot on what you said there. I mean, not only that, when we look at the, the sort of fetishization of it, you know, we see that, like it says, in the media and, that's not necessarily all bad in terms of if, if you're a director, a storyteller, trying to tell, you know, a story of working class plight and all the things that affect it. But it, sometimes these these directors, these creatives can sell out, you know, that image uh, in their market. You know, I, I think you see that with probably one of Britain's most famous shows, uh, Shameless. You know, it's, it starts off well as a, a story of, you know, working class family in Manchester. And as the season's gone, you see that sale of image and, you know, a brutal portrayal of working class. And I, it's it's one of those things that, you know, before I was ever involved, I sort of developed that class consciousness. I, I just sort of passed the show off as being nothing more than a show. But when you sit there and you analyse it, you see all these stereotypes, you know, they come into fruition when, when you just look about you and, everything else in between and not only that you know we talk about the middle class and how they view it you know it's to them it's fun that looks brilliant what about their job causing havoc they selling drugs they and drugs that's that's a break of their boring routine for them Aye. and not only that you know when we talk about the stuff that we're vilified for as working class people you know you mentioned quite rightly there <laughs> the likes of Buckfast more of an Eldorado man myself but we'll save that debate for another day uh, <laughs> But yeah, you get vilified for what you wear, what you drink, how you speak. I mean, always having that conversation with my parents, you know, I go for a job and I speak properly, speak properly. You know, this idea that what we're saying isn't right. It's it's, it's detached from what we should be. And it's, it's part of that bourgeois poison that gets filtered down into working class communities and, you know, creates this sort of disarray between us you know it's it's one of those really tough things and like we say when we see the the likes of i guess you could say your, your academics who who try to interpret it it's never interpreted within getting working class people's opinions you know it's, it's always their own oh we can view uh, perhaps glasgow in a, a certain line like okay people can pretend if they if they walk the walk and talk the talk but as you've clearly stated, you know, that's just not possible. You know, these people don't live within the, the same conditions that we do that shape them and shape their minds and shape their thoughts. And, you know, it's these thoughts and these mental effects that is facing the working class communities within Scotland and indeed within Britain. It's, you know, it's leading to higher drug deaths. It's leading to higher murder rates. It's leading to higher suicide rates, especially amongst young men now. So it's something that, you know, the middle class will, will never be able to tap into. And I guess when we, we talk about there as well, when we talk about minds being shaped, uh, not just in terms of mental health as well, but yeah, when we look at the state education system as well, you know, we see it always striving to create certain individuals and individuals being the, the key organ that it tries to create within the, the anatomy of capitalism. You know, it, it really strives to create individualism within the working class youth. You know, it's, it's very strong and very adept at doing that. I just want to get your your thoughts and views and, you know, how the ed education system really pushes this dog-eat-dog -dog on us. I saw that was some really good points you, you brought up there, um, just to lead us into it. And it, again, I, I know I've, I've outlined this at the, the start, and it's, I feel that's why I was quite glad that I've done that, because it's it's all relevant to what we're, we're discussing. And uh, so obviously in the, in the other this sections there and through it, I've been talking about a survival of the fitness, and as you say, social Darwinism. 
Um, and it is ingrained in our education system, but it might come as a surprise. The, the guy who, and by the way, it is, tends to always be a guy, especially in the late 1800s. So this guy who came up with the school reforms in the late 1880s, his name was H.H. H. Almond, and he was actually a huge fan of Herbert Spencer and thanked him for his essays on education and health. And it was through these that the, the new curriculums across the country were implemented. So the, the idea that individualism is taught individualism uh, is taught to us in schools, it shouldn't really be a surprise. So you think about sports and schools. Initially, these were introduced by Almond and were designed to get the nation fit and healthy and ready for war, should it arise again after the World War, um, basically after Britain got its arse kicked in South Africa. So ultimately, they were training wings for war, um, many working class wings who, well, as I say, training working class wings who owned nothing profited for nothing to fight in wars that were always created by the rich for interest and profits in the rich. So in relation to individualism, well, again, sports, we've got captains, we've got people propelled to excel against others. And be honest, I mean, I'm not one of these people who thinks we should be banning sports or something like that, the integral part of a child's youth and um, hobbies nowadays as well. So you can see it though, whatever you can be taught in a football field, um, you can be transferred into battle in the war um, or just into society in general. So if you're, you're forever taught in school, you like to do well in your exams, um, otherwise you'll just become nothing in later life. And there's, there's probably a bit of truth in that, or what there was once a bit of truth in that, but it creates this notion of school is everything, and should you not succeed, then ultimately you're a failure. So around you, you've got all these people from different backgrounds, even in working class schools, not everybody's got the same income, not everybody's got the same sort of support for their parents. You might have single parents, you might just have a, you might live with a guardian instead, and there's a lot of people obviously living in extreme poverty, and I've, I know that myself to experience. So for an early age, school teaches you to try and excel for yourself. Doesn't it teach you to walk the dinner? Doesn't it teach you to spur on your fellow students? It basically tells you if you don't succeed, you're going to be a failure. And this again, we see the notions of winners and losers, as Spencer and this social Darwinism model proposed. So what they don't tell you, obviously, is in upper-class schools, Public schools are teaching the kids the same thing, but it's far more amplified and focused. They teach these kids to follow, to lead, and sort of to rule. And it ultimately, it's about ruling working class kids in the state schools who are taught if they don't do well and get university, they're going to become nothing. So naturally, some in the working class schools, they excel. Um, but the majority, as we know, they don't really go anywhere past school. I mean, in Scotland, it may be a wee bit different now because of the emphasis on university, because it is free. But I mean, in terms of, if you look at, I think it's PhDs, I think the amount of people doing PhDs, it's still only something like 1% um, are working class. And if you think about the people who come from an impoverished background and working class, I think this is low 0.01. So for the, for the vast majority, by the time they get to working years, they're already the belief that they're worthless because they've no went on at university, they've no went to do something that's a, a highly sought after profession. Even though every job's got its, its, its own skills and ultimately it all contributes to society, I'm basically told if you're not done doing it this way, then you're a failure. So the fact that some of them might become subservient to the people who are taught to lead, um, it shouldn't really be a surprise in my mind. Um, in terms of the individualism, like you've said, um, the ones who do prosper and grow up believing the world is their oyster, um, I suppose uh, this idea where you can achieve it and you put your mind to uh, the same sort of push that Disney teaches the ones as well. If you dream it, you can achieve it. But it's not really the case, we already know, unless you own something you're unlikely to get anywhere. And if you do make enough to go and own something, uh, you're already way behind those who were born into it. So this promise and a dream 
ultimately is a right to keep the working class wins working hard just to, so they can become victims to the same system of capitalism their parents did as well so it's kind of like an endless cycle I think it's it's pretty self-explanatory anyway I mean we see it but they don't champion togetherness they don't champion collectiveness unless it's serving them and this is kind of a reflection of society itself unions are bad individualism is good even though if you're an individual, you're going to get fucked over by the system, whereas unions are the only way to fight back against it. And that's kind of, as I say, it's kind of ingrained for school when we see that anyway. So, aye. Aye, spot on again, comrade. I mean, even just looking at the Scottish education system and uh, in terms of how it runs as well, we see, you know, that social ordering of, you know, putting working class people in certain roles and dictating that through certain examinations. I mean, the, the way we see it in Scotland where they like say, yeah, you, you go into your classes, your, your nat four, your nat five, your hires and all that, you know, you get your, your prelims, your pre-exams, and that's a way for, you know, the, the teaching body to see, okay, who's going to fail? Who do we think is going to fail? Okay, well, we can tell them, oh, we don't recommend you sit the exam. Why don't you sit another year out? You know, don't make the school look bad uh, or drop down a level. You know, it, it's that sort of ordering that's, that takes place in there. And, you know, if I had a quid for every time a teacher told me, you know, if I don't pay attention, I'm going to end up a bin man. <laughs> these sort of roles that yeah. are, are viewed as bad when when in fact you know the, these small jobs as, as they claim you know actually are vital for the running of our society but yeah you know the, the conditioning of it when we see it in schools and what we're taught and how we're taught it's always you know competitions are, are against ourselves striving to beat each other via you know test scores it's a it's a very prevalent thing i mean it's it's tough for Perhaps, you know, people like myself in schools who done an extra year in, in another subject where I was lucky enough to get the, the grades I needed for college. So I was at my, my final year of school just sort of mucking about. But, you know, you've got other folk who unfortunately weren't as fortunate in that. And that's just due to the teachings of the school. You know, they don't teach to, to better you. It's all about the course. It's all about the, the grade. And it's all about the reputation on, on then in the school as well, you know. So if you're falling behind, then you're falling behind the teacher's the school and body isn't going to pick you up because quite frankly, they, they don't view it as worth their time. You know, you're going to get abandoned by them. And, you know, it's it's, it's only those who, who score well that they, they truly care about because they, they get them into certain programmes. It's it's good rep, it's good publicity for the school if, you know, they, they've got their pupils scoring higher than others. And schools have, have essentially become a competitive market, even within the state education system where they're fighting against each other. I mean, you, sort of, you somehow get these... Uh, rivalries of of different schools, even in today's day and age, you know, whether it's be your, your Dumbarton Academy and your Claybank, oh, we hate Claybank, why? Oh, I don't know, we just hate them. <laughs> so, so it's that sort of rivalry that's almost... The rivalry of the fittest, mate. <laughs> exactly. So it's even we, we things like that, you know, that really get into people's heads and it's forced within us. And, and like you said there about your unions and that and uh, folk standing by themselves, then they take that knowledge that they've learned from school and and try to use it into the real world and reject unions. And as you say, I they, they just get absolutely shafted over. They've, they've not got a chance, you know. Meanwhile, there's actual power within a union, within a collective. And we look at, you know, Thatcher and, and her famous quote of there is no there is no class, there is no such thing. It's only individuals. And, you know, that, that's probably one of the most poisonous speeches, the most poisonous set of words that's ever been uttered from a human's mouth and we've seen its effects in our policy and, and, and how it's really brutalised working class communities across Britain and this is for generations to come because we're still seeing it happen whether that be Faye Margaret Thatcher's lip service or 
indeed the the very actions of the the Tory government the now so it's certainly something that's still prevalent within society as well and I guess that sort of leads on when we talk about poison and you know the working class community and the working class youth being poisoned is we're bourgeois role models you know very instrumental in further suppressing the, the working class youth I mean you only have to look as far as your your love islands your love islanders and that and to see that these are the the supposed role models that, that young working class people are to aspire to just to just to get your thoughts on that and what you think are you know our bourgeois role models that we should all look up to smilingly well well I start with this one and it's <laughs> uh, so as, as I've already explained I mean the rich people folk tend to look up to you like say Elon Musk he's somehow seen as a sort of genius when the actual fact is he, he bought his company he never invented fuck all, comes up with these theories that have existed for decades and passes them off as his own. So he's like the smartest guy alive for people who can't be asked picking up a book. And the thing is, I get that. Not everybody's got the time to read and stuff like that. And this is part of, obviously, the system we're living in, the sort of exposure that we face through your social media channels and through different outlets. It's all these people that we're celebrating. So for, as I say, in Glasgow, you're... you're Average white working class, for example, looks like them. He comes up with some funny part or sometimes. He's quite geeky and comes across as a sort of likeable character, which obviously we know isn't true. When you look deeper in how he treats his staff, it shouldn't really be the case. But we also see, obviously, these role models putting the youth in, as I say, every domain. Your Instagram, the TikTok, they're, they're promoting this toxic culture. And again, this American dream and the Disney story of success. Um, it's funny you mentioned Love Island. I mean, I... I've never seen Love Island, but I know this cretin Molly May because um, of her comments. So the, the lassie's got shares or something, a figurehead, and she, she's for this, what is it, Pretty Little Things, one of the most exploitative con- companies in the country. I think they own sweatshops abroad. So again, the whole ownership idea comes into this, except obviously it's much worse because there's also a, a sort of imperialist element to it because with this company, they don't even want to pay the UK working class, a decent wage for their service. They want to exploit the cheap foreign labour in places like India and Bangladesh. And again, the same can be said about Primark and all these other companies right enough. But this lassie, as I say, really upped me with her comments. Um, she's not alone in this, but just to make an example of with her comments in regards to what have the same 24 hours in a day. I mean, my missus, she, she shows me her stories on Instagram and what she gets up to. My missus somebody that's just starting to get into the struggle and she's starting to learn just because she's always been sort of conscious to some level but it's just trying to get that education shown her why and how and she's really noticing it now and you can see it as I say with people like Molly May she's shown me her videos I mean she gets up she does some cleaning she goes for a walk she goes for some lunch eating a fucking smashed avocado piece and pish or whatever the fuck these gremlins and these fad diets call it nowadays but it, then they promote some brands and that's it so say this fucking same 24 hours a day I mean, give me a break. So it's this toxic culture, and it's, it's really something we need to move away from, but it, it won't be overnight. Um, and as I say, in regards to my missus, who's started getting into the struggle herself, I think we can get over that with, with the likes of education, but it, I mean, it's just educating everybody individually. How do we do that? It's a, it's, a bit of, it's a bit of a problem we face because obviously these ruling classes, they own the outlets, they own your Twitter. I mean, Musk has just bought Twitter. And it's, it's their ideas that are getting promoted. It's all these far-right ideas and the individualism ideas, just as we spoke about in the last bit there. Everything's all driven by this same model, a survival of the fittest individualism. You can fucking achieve it if you dream it. It's just getting the working class this fucking idea that you can make it on your own, but as we know, as we've said at the start, there's a class system in place where unless you own the means of production, 
you're not going anywhere. So the best way to do it is obviously come together. Um, but as I say, this is the struggle. Aye, spot on comedy. I mean, I've got a lot to say about, you know, these boys who are role models and a lot of it may get me arrested by the police, so I'll, I'll watch what I say very <laughs> carefully. But as you say, you know, these people are on this this pedestal now and they, they get to that area of success in, in their life where they just become a whore to the, the capitalist market, whether it be promoting and advertising to just remaining as a figurehead for, for their companies. And right you say, you know, th- these people don't have working routines, you know, they live a life of leisure and it's <laughs> their idea of the same 24 hours is spending about three of that working and the rest on social media, maybe making a TikTok that earns them another hundred grand in advertisement and then, oof, they can call it a day there. But it's infuriating hearing those words and, you know, seeing firsthand that we don't have the same 24 hours in the day, it's, it's completely false, you know, people aren't in the same conditions, in the same working conditions, you know, I imagine Molly May saying that to the face of one of her sweatshop workers. For youth, I, I suppose it's it comes to this idea of what role models are we advertising, past and present, to be that light within the darkness of capitalism and, you know, showing what can be done. You know, I'd done a, a challenge article piece a, a few weeks back about positive working class football role models as well. You know, these are these are young men from working class communities, you know, really striving to to better themselves and their communities also and the work that they do within them outside of football as well. And that's something that certainly needs to be tapped in with the youth. And as you say, quite rarely, it is going to be a difficult thing to do given, you know, the capitalist influence within state education. And as long as the bourgeoisie are at the very top of the state, I mean, they've ultimately got control of generations to come. And it's, you know, it's up to us to, to sort of combat that and going back to what your bourgeois role models and, uh, you know, the, the attitudes and behaviours that they inflict onto us when, when they're stood uh, upon that pedestal granted to them by other members of the bourgeois. You know, it's, it's these ideas that we're supposed to aspire to, to be these, these people of, you know, selfishness, you know, Love Island's a good one because it's just hyper drama reality where these, the, <laughs> these false conflicts occur. Same for the likes of Celebrity Big, Big Brother when you cram a bunch of Z-listers together in a room and you watch them fight and folk think, oh, I've got so much in common with them, but you really don't. You know, these people are going to be leaving these shows with thousands in their back pocket whilst you're lying in bed just after half ten, feared to go to work tomorrow, wondering if you'd even have enough money to pay for petrol to, to get you there the next day. So, you know, these, these so-called role models are detrimental, you know, to our youth because as long as they remain in that pedestal, then they're going to be pushing those very toxic ideas uh, on us. And, you know, I thought, I, I, I guess that sort of brings us on to, you know, the, the vital thinking point and the, the question that we all need to sort of really ponder and really, you know, work towards is how do we elevate our youth? Can you get your thoughts on that? That's uh, obviously a, a, a difficult one. I mean, my view for everything is always education. It's just getting education on a grand scale, as you said there. I mean, we're already... We're already fighting in a battle that we're seeing for education level. Children's young as four and five getting ingrained with this idea of individualism. Um, we've got social media teaching everybody about individualism and how to prosper and how to beat your fellow working class man or woman. We've got all this sort of issue where it's, it's, it's really difficult to overcome it. But as you rightly said there, there's a lot of work that gets done within communities and I think this is a way to overcome it. We've got working class communities. The main voices that are coming for these communities are working class. 
So ultimately, it's about those who are educated enough, who, those who understand the struggle within our communities, they try and make that difference. The issue, again, obviously, it comes back to the whole, well, we've got the same 24 hours a day. We don't have the same 24 hours a day. So ultimately, try to get out um, and try to get speaking to people and try to get organised. It can be difficult and it can be tiring. Um, this is why, obviously, we've, we've got the, the sort of unions that kind of help us. I think Living Rent are really good at this because what we do is we tend to go about doors and try to get people um, feeling as if they're part of something rather than a lot of people tend to see unions as a service, but it's building community. That's the most important part of it because it's making people realise that, look, we're working class, we're working class, you're working class. Let's unite on our issues and our struggles here. And I think when you build enough communities together, then you can start reaching out and you start reaching into other communities. And when the communities overlap, that's when you start building something really special. But as I say, it needs to be led with a bit of theory. It needs to be led with a bit of education behind it as well, purely because we need to know a direction it's gone because it's all well. We've got experience and the, the knowledge of the, the, the areas and the experience of people, what they've lived and the struggles they've been through. That's all really important. It's just as crucially important as, as I say, education there. So... I think communities building up grassroots level, that's the way we overcome it because we've not really got this grand scale where we can do our advertisement, where we can do our promotion. I mean, we've, fair do is we've got our wee papers here and there, but for grand scale, how can we compete against the likes of the Metro, which is owned by the Daily Mail? I mean, they own every train and every bus. So that right-wing media has just been perpetuated. Um, the ideas are just keeping ingrained in society, so to actually challenge them, you need to actually show people, I think, alongside the theory that there's a bit of action actually happening, because we're living whether people like it or not in this sort of age of image, and obviously that, as I say, is tied in with Instagram and all this. People are needing to see stuff to really feel part of it, and sometimes it might just be people want to just come along so they can get a photo and a fucking picture or in a, a video that strikes or pickets or whatever, but it's when they get there, and they start seeing that there is a community there, there is a fucking feeling of togetherness, and there is something special that can be built for it. I think that's what changes minds, and it's all about just getting the people involved um, and just doing it for the ground up. As I say, grassroots is how it happens. I mean, you just need to look at the Black Panther movement in America. They were fucking masters at it, and that's the way we need to go. We need to try and transcend all this division that we've got, whether it be race, gender, sex, whatever else. Class is what binds us, and... If we are working amongst the communities, working class communities, then we need to actually show that we are together. And that's, as I say, that's, from my view, that's how we elevate the youth. It comes through the fucking grassroots and it comes through working and getting to know people, living beside each other, the families, not just the children, but the, the adults as well. Because, as I say, we're all one, we're all affected by capitalism. So, ultimately, if we want change, we need to fucking be the change, is my view. Aye, absolutely, comrade. Uh, I mean, that perfectly sums up, you know, it's that, that community level and utilising education, like you said, especially when, when we're trying to combat the, the current state education system as well. And it's, it's funding, you know, it's, a, it's an uphill battle, but certainly a battle that needs to be waged. And, you know, when we, we, we look at the community level of it, you know, absolutely right. We've got to talk to our neighbours. We can't feel alienated, you know, from the very people beside us who are, are no doubt going through the same if not similar struggles as us. So it has to be, you know, on that community level, as well as utilising the broad left labour movement as a whole with, with the likes of trade unions, you know, you really do see that sense of, of community and togetherness, you know, when you're on there in the picket line or in the march and you see so many faces beside you and so many characters, you know, 
really amped up, really fired to put an end to this exploitation that we're facing day in, day out within her 24 hours. Maybe not Molly May's 24 hours. I don't think she's felt that before in her life, but certainly within hours. And it's that fight, that inspiration that really puts us forward and gets us over this hill of pessimism. You know, we can't afford to be pessimistic in these times. We've really got to fight and combat this, whether it be through channels in the youth or older channels, the likes of the trade union movement and tenants unions. You know, these are really vital and, and, and play that, you know, key instrument in the, the broadness of it and, you know, really combating and working towards elevating the working class as a whole. And, and that's absolutely vital if we're to have any success and, you know, make any dent within the machine of capitalism as a whole. So, ah, you're absolutely spot on with that. Just to, just to finish off and round off, just to see if you've got any, you know, final talking points and whereabouts can we find you in social media and that? Social media, um, got my Twitter. You can put that up on the, the link or whatever, but I'm not really that asked about that sort of thing anyway. But I've... My research, obviously, I'm looking forward to getting that published um, or getting out there anyway, as I said. Ned's and Ned Culture in 1995 to 2006 covers, as I said before, this whole murder capital of Europe and how a lot of the working class youth were obviously blamed for this, but also how we lived in this environment. And for some reason, we've never actually been considered that we might be actually victims to this environment, given that we were the murder capital of Europe and the trauma that obviously comes with that. It's something that's seriously overlooked. So in terms of what I can promote or anything, I don't really have it to promote apart from join a union, join Living Rent, Tenants Union. If you're working, join a workers' union. Ultimately, this is all I'm about. It's just about working class struggle and about trying to make life a wee bit better for each of the working class people beside us. Um, as you've said there, that's it's all about community. Without community, we've really got nothing. Um, no matter what they tell you, all these fairy stories about how you're going to become the next billionaire and all the rest of it. I just I would say thanks for having his own. Hi, cheers. Cheers again, comrade, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to, to reading your research once you're all finished. I will actually, uh, I've got a, a thing going on the new, um, and it's a people's school uniform project. Um, and what we're trying to do is this is, goes back to the whole idea of community. And um, what we're trying to do is raise a bit of money for those who, when it comes to the Wayne's going back to school, because obviously we see there's people in work who are struggling, so the people that are out of work right now are going to be struggling even more. Um, so when it's coming to this cost of living crisis, which everybody's feeling, the usual people that are alienated, i.e. your underclass, I know there's no such thing as an underclass, and all the like, people like to call people that, but ultimately we're all the working class, and this People's School Uniform Project is just about trying to raise funds for those come back to school who people can't afford their uniforms for the wains and we don't want to give them second hand stuff. But if we can get some, then that would help us as well. But if it means buying them new trainers, if it means getting them school bags, pack lunch boxes, um, even jotters and things like that, pens, the rest of it, just try to help people or the wains get into school without being further marginalised and alienated and facing that, as we've already spoke about through that, you mentioned that this sort of conflict we face between our own class and people try to compete against each other. And we see that, especially when it comes to bullying our wains. So if anybody can can contribute to that, or even wants to get in touch with us, because um, I might need some hands, obviously, when we're doing deliveries and dropping stuff off, or even if anybody is going to be struggling to reach out and let us know, then obviously we'll, we'll try and help you best we can with that. Um, I would ask you if you can you can post a wee link up for us there, if you may, and... Uh, Hopefully that will help that project a wee bit. But I again, just thanks for having his own. 
I absolutely, comrade. We'll be a hundred percent sure to include that link in the description. Also, thanks again, comrades, for tuning in to another episode of Spectre. In the description below, I'll leave the link to Gavin's Twitter account as well as a project that he mentioned. Also, remember, comrades, the youth are instrumental in the fight against capitalism. And today, we're seeing less opportunities and rights than our parents. We're facing a privatised education and healthcare system with poor quality housing, insecure and poorly paid jobs, working for bosses who cheat us. We've got world-ending climate change, alienation, war, repression and exploitation at our very doorstep. This is the future that young people face under a capitalist system that is failing them in Britain and across the world. But it doesn't have to be this way. We have to fight together to end rampant exploitation of the working class, for the creation of a fairer, equal system for all, in which a planned economy provides decent employment, education and housing without destroying our planet. We must seek to defend the gains made by the global workers' movement and seek to end the grip of global imperialism on the world's oppressed peoples. Our strength lies in our unity. We must unite as young people and take back what has been stolen from us. Only together, within our ranks, can we achieve socialism in Britain and indeed across the globe. The question that many young people need to ask themselves is this, if not you, then who? I highly encourage comrades to get involved within their communities as well. As me and Gavin mentioned, start that grassroots development and begin to educate others in our community, especially young people. But most importantly, for the many young people listening, join the Young Communist League of Britain. Get involved and get active in the fight against capitalism. As members of the working class youth, we must come together to remove this anti-worker government. We must also come together to help the most vulnerable working class people made to suffer in the interests of big business and finance capital. It is not enough for us to sit in our hands and read theory. We have to get active, combining what we've learned into appropriate praxis. Young people must be active within their communities, trade union organisations, tenants unions and everywhere else and beyond. Let us be the role models that the working class deserve, not these Love Island wasters who are nothing more than running dogs for capitalism. This fight will not be an easy one, but it's a vital one for peace, jobs and socialism in our lifetime. Again, thanks for tuning in, comrades. Be sure to leave us a review, share the podcast with your comrades, and if you're interested in appearing in the podcast, then get in contact with us using the email in the description. All we need, comrades, is just one generation of youth, and we'll transform the whole world. Sipping on his cans and smoking rollies Cause all the best jobs are